Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. A brand new week of bringing clarity to the chaos is here. Is there anything wrong with Halloween? Pastor Larry will answer that question. But first, we look at the pagan traditions of Halloween with David Ingram. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. This week on Watchmen on the Wall, we begin a brand new ongoing series looking at why you and I should study Bible prophecy. Colonel Bob McGinnis will be here revealing China's plan to eliminate America and impose a communist world order. Make sure you don't miss a moment of this week's exciting programs. You can listen to Watchmen on the Wall as a daily podcast or on our SWRC mobile app. You can also listen to us on our website, swrc.com. Have you ever embraced witchcraft and the occult? You probably never have, right? Well, Dr. David Ingram spent years researching the biblical origins, practices, and contemporary remnants of paganism. Today, we're listening to a presentation where Dr. Ingram explores the origins of Halloween. David Ingram, welcome to the Watchman on the Wall broadcast. Well, my, it seems like old times, Kenneth Hill. We're back together doing programs with Southwest Radio Church. It's been a little while, but it just seems like old home week. Well, we're glad to have you here. Once upon a time, many years ago, you were the program director and host here at Southwest Radio Church, were you not? Yeah, that's right. And I had a wonderful time out there uh, doing a lot of research and doing a lot of programs and getting acquainted with a lot of wonderful people many of whom still work there at Southwest Radio Church, and I miss the gang. I'm going to have to get back out there one of these days and just say hi to all the friends we have out there. Well, you haven't been just resting since you've been here with us at Southwest Radio Church Ministries. You've been doing a lot of work with Point of Prophecy Ministries, with Point and Counterpoint Radio Broadcast, and now you have a new book. Now, this new book, the title, please, is Pagan Traditions, is it not? Yes, it is. Tell me in a nutshell what the book's about, and then let's delve into it a little bit. Well, we are well aware that much of what we do at Christmas time, Easter time, and especially at Halloween, well, has pagan origins. Much of the way that we celebrate some of our favorite holidays, well, really have, I would have to call them suspicious kinds of origins and intentions, because frankly, we find in the Old Testament and the New Testament that some of the things that we get involved in, and the religious system that is reflected to a great extent at Christmas and at Halloween and at Easter, well, that system was something that God opposed all throughout Scripture, and yet we find ourselves dabbling with it, embracing it and getting a little bit too involved in it for my purposes, and that's why I wrote the book, to tell us how do we separate what is genuine, what is Christian, from the holidays that we celebrate, separate that from what is purely pagan, and in my understanding of things, rather unwelcome so far as God is concerned. How do we celebrate these kinds of things without offending the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the Father of our Lord Jesus. You've done a fine job of presenting in quite an easy format where paganism began and how that it has continued throughout the centuries. Let's start at the beginning, if we may. Take us all the way back there to the Middle East, to the Fertile Crescent, 
and tell me, how did we see paganism begin? Where did it start? Well, all paganism began at the Tower of Babel, Kenneth. And what happens here is we see that during the time of Nimrod, the great hunter, as he is called in Scripture, there developed in the Tower of Babel area a number of different religious systems. And these included the system of astrology. We first began to do our stargazing and our addressing the celestial bodies there at the Tower of Babel. Then another very important thing that began at the Tower of Babel was the use of idols, the use of figurines and various kinds of things, including standing images and other kinds of things, both made of rock, some made of wood, but images that, in fact, represented little gods and false gods, false deities. And this is where the worship of these idols began. Not only that, but there at the Tower of Babel, we began worshiping nature. We began worshiping the creature more than the creator. And so there was a general decay in man's understanding of God. You know, the evolutionists today would like to tell us that we evolved from polytheism kinds of things into a monotheistic view of God, but in fact we didn't. We went, in fact, exactly the opposite way. We began with a monotheistic understanding of who and what God is, and we devolved into an idolatrous system where, in Romans chapter 1, professing to be wise, we became fools, and we began worshiping the creature more than the creator. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie according to Romans chapter 1. And this all really had its origin at the Tower of Babel. And this is also where we began doing such things as seances, where we began doing such things as necromancy in contacting supposedly the dead. This is where demonology really got its toehold in the human family. And so what we see then is by the time of Abraham, who lived at Ur of the Chaldees, we find that Abraham and his father Terah were, in fact, idolaters. And they worshipped probably the moon goddess of Mesopotamia, and they worked perhaps in the ziggurat at Ur, and they were priests. And, in fact, the word Abram means father of the high place. We discern from that and from other portions of Scripture, that Abraham and his father Terah were probably priests there in the ziggurat of Ur of the Chaldees. So what happened was that God called Abraham out of that environment. He called Abraham into a land that he was preparing for him and for his progeny. And the whole idea was, Abraham, you're being called out so that you will separate yourself from paganism, separate yourself unto the God of the universe, the Creator. By the way, I think that call is very much in vogue today, that those of us who call upon the name of the Lord should separate ourselves from those things that are purely pagan, that are purely uh, heathenistic in the way that they approach things. Because in all of the Bible, beginning, oh, probably in the 24th chapter of Genesis, in all of the Bible, we find our God totally opposed to this system and requiring of his people 
that they not only separate, but they're not to have graven images, they're not to have any gods before him, they're not to take his name in vain, they're to be pure and holy in the way they address God. So all of the Bible addresses this problem. We're talking with David Ingram about his new book, Pagan Traditions, and specifically about the origins of paganism. In reality, and David, you were saying there that the humanist historians will say that man began as a polytheist and became a monotheist in certain cultures, and the Jewish culture, of course, being the primary one. However, in reality, it was Adam worshiping, communing, walking with God immediately after creation. Yeah, that's right. And so Adam worshipped the one true and the living God. And then what happened? Well, we had degradation, we had moral conflagration, we had the time of violence in the earth, we had death and destruction and mayhem as it was in the days of Noah. And guess what? It's going to be that way when the Son of Man comes again. (laughs) You know, all of this is very pertinent. I think that what God has done and is doing, even through this book, is just calling our attention to the fact that as sophisticated as we think we are as Christians, as immune from that kind of thing as we think we are, in fact we are dabbling when we get into the greenery of Christmas and the Easter eggs of Easter, all of these other things. We're really dabbling with not only the occult, but those things that offend our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. If they offended him in the Old Testament, They offend him today. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, you spent quite a bit of time dealing with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why are they important? Why was it so important to set the stage as we look at the beginnings of paganism? Well, because, in fact, when Abraham was called out of his land, or of the Chaldees, God called him to have a separated life and a life that would be, in fact, dedicated completely to him. But So what happens here in the 24th chapter of the book of Genesis is Abraham, well, he just gets kind of old. His age begins to catch up with him, and he calls for his friend and the chief steward of his household, whose name was Eleazar. He calls him and says, Listen, I want you to go and find a wife for my son Isaac. And in verse 4, he says, But thou shalt go into my country, and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And so that's what Eleazar begins to do. It's interesting that Abraham says in verse 6, Beware that thou bring not my son there again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, in which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee. But do you see that God had called Abraham to separate himself from that land? And now, here's the prospect of looking for, well, a near of kin to marry Isaac. Now, Would Abraham want to send his son back into this idolatrous land where idolatry is rampant, where fertility rites and things like that were running rampant? No. He says to Eleazar, don't let this happen. Don't let my son go back. You go in and you find the wife for him. Bring her back. But I don't want him to uh, go into that land. 
Now, what's interesting, Ken, is this. In the very next generation, Jacob, one of the sons of this union between Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob goes into the land. He went into the house of Laban. And when he came back into the land, what happened? Well, one of his wives, Rachel, brought an idol back with her. And this was called a teraphim. And this little tin god kind of thing was a god that symbolized ownership of property. And not only did Rachel infect the caravan coming back out of the land of Haran and back into Canaan, not only did she infect that caravan with idolatry, but she also stole what was the equivalent of a uh, seal of ownership of Laban's property. Well, of course, you remember the story. Laban, he wasn't so much interested in her being missing, but my, when he thought of the fact that my idols are being stolen from me, he went immediately, took his crew, and they went and chased down Jacob, and they take the girls back with them. No, they took their gods back, or at least they tried to. And it isn't until we get into the all about the 35th chapter of the book of Genesis that Jacob begins to have, uh, well, some thoughts about the idols and about the, the false gods that Rachel had brought back with her. And there's a little revival that goes uh, on here. And in chapter 35, verse 1, he says, Arise, go up to Bethel, God says to Jacob, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto thy God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and arise, and go up to Bethel, which means the house of God, I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress. You see, here again we find that God's people are required to separate themselves from paganism in whatever form it comes. And in this case, it was the form of idolatry. And so God called upon them to go to his house, but to do it clean. No, don't come to the house of God being defiled with false gods, images, false practices, practices that are occult and so forth. It seems that what we're talking about here is walking by faith, not by sight. Is that a reasonable assumption? Well, that certainly is part of it. But the most important thing is to walk separated from idolatry and from the things of the world. We are called upon to come out from among them and to be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And those things that defile the man, yeah, we'd say that these are things that would come forth out of the person. That's what the Lord Jesus would say. But those things that offend God are clearly delineated in Scripture, such things as worshiping idols, building groves, building altars on every high hill and under every green tree. These kinds of things were offensive to God in antiquity. But the fact is, the God of antiquity is the God that I serve today, and he is still offended by practices that are less than Christian, less than pure so far as our Christian walk is concerned. And I'm not saying that these things are worthy of death. 
I'm not saying that these things are going to remand somebody to hell or anything like that, but I'm saying, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could clean up our act and still celebrate good, legitimate holidays in a way that would be pleasing to God rather than in some ways offending Him? That's all that the book is about in order to demonstrate that these things are offensive to God. We've done a lot of research, a lot of Bible study. There's a, if you want to use this book as a devotional kind of thing, if you want to use it to uh, simply study the Bible and from a different perspective, perhaps, than you've done before, then that's the value of this book. That's the beauty of it. It's based entirely on Scripture, and it studies the Scripture and brings it out I think in a pretty good way. I think we've done well with it just to give the background on some of these things. David Ingram is our guest here on the Watchman on the Wall broadcast. We're talking about his book, Pagan Traditions, and we've been talking about the beginnings of paganism, if you will, and its relationship to those who would follow the true and the living God. David, I've got a question about the Ten Commandments. How do they fit in to the growth and then the retardation of that growth of paganism? The Lord God, in calling his people out of Egypt, which, by the way, had become infected with these forms of idolatry, the Lord God called his people into a land where he would be sort of a landlord, they would be the tenant, and he laid down some rules for them to follow. And some of these rules were directly related to the paganism they were coming out of in the land of Egypt. God says, I don't want that to infest my land among my people. So I'm going to give you ten commandments. And three of those commandments deal with the subject of idolatry and the paganism that could be practiced by these same people coming out of Egypt if they continued in these practices would take them back into the land of Canaan. God says, no. No, you're not to worship any gods. You're not to have any gods before me, and you're not to make unto yourselves any graven images. The icons that are prevalent in some churches today are not acceptable so far as God is concerned. We're talking with David Ingram. His book is Pagan Traditions, and you can get the book by calling us here, 800-652-1144, Pagan Traditions of the Holidays. Learn much more about the pagan traditions of Halloween, Easter, and Christmas in Dr. David Ingram's book, Pagan Traditions of the Holidays. In this book, you'll discover the origins of Easter, Christmas, and Halloween. Does God oppose some of the things you do to celebrate the holiday season? And if so, which practices and why? Have your questions answered in the book, Pagan Traditions of the Holidays. Order your copy today by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. And make sure you ask how you can receive free shipping when you order Pagan Traditions of the Holidays. 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. This year's SWRC Prophecy Calendar is here and ready to ship. 
This year's calendar is based on the book and television series, Jewish Roots of Christianity. A 16-month calendar that features all major biblical, Jewish, and Israeli holidays, plus U.S. holidays. Each day contains scripture references to help you read through the Bible in a year, and the calendar is full of gorgeous photos and artwork. Part of the proceeds from each calendar go to the Onesimus Prison Ministry. When you order a calendar, a calendar is also sent to a prisoner. Order the 16-month Jewish Roots of Christianity calendar today. 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Today is Halloween. Pastor Larry Spargimino is here to answer a question many Christians are asking today. What's wrong with Halloween? If I say there's a lot wrong with Halloween, I know I will be charged with being narrow-minded. But do you think Muslims will celebrate Christmas? Will they celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which they claim never happened? Ephesians 5.11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Jesus Christ brings life, hope, and joy. But Halloween is associated with death, hopelessness, and misery. Why should Christians celebrate a religion that celebrates that which Jesus Christ came to overcome? What we celebrate should be supportive of our beliefs, not diametrically opposed to them. I don't believe that putting on a white sheet will turn you into a ghost any more than putting on a mask will turn you into a pumpkin. However, parents need to remember this. When children engage in Halloween practices, they often lose a healthy respect for that which is evil. That can be disastrous. People need to love that which is good and hate that which is evil. I believe that is one of the things that is missing in the Christian community. We are kind of cool to everything, no matter how bad or how good. Parents who have not developed a holy esteem for that which is good often confuse their kids. Please don't confuse your kids by celebrating that which is inherently evil. God's people need a spiritual overhaul. Romans 12 verse 9 says, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. People who celebrate Halloween ignore that verse and many others. Halloween does not promote that which is good. In fact, in the past few years, police departments all over America have always reported that the number of crimes sharply rises on Halloween night. The burning of abandoned buildings, grass fires, the torture of cats, dogs, and rabbits have become all too commonplace. The ritual slaying of children as a sacrifice to Satan is, sadly, becoming more commonplace. I did a couple of shows with Tom Horn and Josh Peck on the video documentary, Silent Cry, The Darker Side of Trafficking. It is hard to believe, but there is a darker side to trafficking. Seventy or eighty years ago, celebrating Halloween was a fun time for all of us. I grew up in a small community about 40 miles east of New York City. It was a peaceful little town at the foot of a bluff. A creek entered the harbor at that point. Seagulls could often be heard screeching as they fed off of bait fish. What kind of rebellious activity characterized youth in those days? Well, things like talking in class and lighting up a cigarette behind the barbershop. Today, it is murder, armed robbery, sucker punching the elderly, and narcotics. Unfortunately, that little community is very different today. The harbor is polluted, and you can't eat the shellfish. 
The local bait and tackle shop has closed because the flounders no longer come into the harbor. There's a drag queen story hour in the local public library every Saturday morning. Parents think it is fun as they bring their own children. Not only are the kids confused, the parents are too. When I was a kid, the local Catholic church was open 24-7. People who wanted to pray, light a candle, or just sit still and look at the stations of the cross could do so at any hour of the day. You can't do that any longer. The doors are locked and padlocked. Security cameras were on the lookout for vandals who would draw whiskers on the face of Mary. Besides, you have to be out of your mind to want to sit in an empty church building after dark. So if someone asks me, should Christians celebrate Halloween, my answer is a resounding no. The devil is gathering trophies. Why do we want him to enjoy more victories? We've all heard of young people who were raised in church going astray. Once they leave home, they never darken the door of a church. Why did that happen? What led them away from faithfulness to the Lord? No doubt there could be many possible causes for their apostasy, but let us maintain an example of consistent faithfulness to God so our youth can see our commitment both in word and deed. Celebrating Halloween is not a good example to our young people. Halloween focuses on the celebration of and fascination with evil. That people are fascinated with it is proof of a sick culture. Should Christians give testimony to Christ by showing that their beliefs are similar to the beliefs associated with witchcraft? Our culture is terribly deceptive. Right is called wrong, and wrong is called right. We do not want to add to the confusion. No doubt Halloween is one of the most marketable and culturally popular celebrations on our calendar. Clever marketing schemes across streaming channels such as Netflix and HBO contribute to Halloween's growing popularity. Spending for Halloween is predicted to cross the $10 billion mark. It appears that the popularity of Halloween and participation in the celebration will only continue its meteoric rise. This is very unfortunate. Swirling around Halloween's fall festivities and trick-or-treating are the blatant connections to evil and human depravity. Halloween's origins are rooted in paganism. Halloween is a time of the year celebrated by those who are supporters of Wicca. As the official religion of witchcraft, Wiccans believe October the 31st is the date when the separation between the spiritual and physical realms is the thinnest. In other words, Halloween is the best time to reach the supernatural realm. Is it a sin to celebrate Halloween? Well, it all depends on how you plan to celebrate it. For some families and churches, this might involve a time of praise and worship, thanking God that we have been delivered from the powers of darkness and brought into the glorious light of the gospel is always appropriate. Dressing up in a costume and handing out candy on October the 31st is not a sin, just as it wouldn't be a sin to do the same thing in April. However, how Christians represent Christ does matter, especially on days associated with witchcraft, mayhem, and death. So we are to walk circumspectly honoring Christ in all things. The world is watching. What kind of an example will you provide to a confused world? The Bible says, touch not the unclean thing. Why should we embrace it and promote it? 
Today's featured resource is Dr. David Ingram's book, Pagan Traditions of the Holidays. In this book, you'll discover the origins of Easter, Christmas, and Halloween. Have your questions answered in the book, Pagan Traditions of the Holidays. Order your copy today by calling 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Friends, should Christians be involved in politics? Find out tomorrow. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Visit swrc.com.